I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, question. Hello, and welcome to Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. Now, you are listening to us live from beautiful, it's stunning out here, downtown Los Angeles' Skid Row Studios. We are on the corner of 7th and Olive, right in the heart of things here. And the reason I call the show It's a Fair Question is because on this show, there is no question that is ever off limits. That's right. There's no question that is ever too personal. Any question is a fair question. And today is a very special, special kind of uh, episode. We usually do the show at night, but I have such a huge guest he couldn't do nights. Oh, no. So, Vic, you want to do the show with me, you're going to have to do it in the afternoon because <laughs> this guy doesn't roll late night. No, because I'm a dad and I've got a baby. I don't do late night stuff anymore. So he is such a star, we made it happen. And he's sitting across from me right now. His name is Jamie Kaler. Hello, Jamie. Oh, hi, Vic. How are you? I'm very well. That's a very smooth voice you have. Thanks, is that man. your radio voice? That's my radio voice today. It's very uh, buttery. Well, it's such a big microphone, and when I have something you know that big like that, I like to bring it down. Oh, tell me more. And tone it in. <laughs> um, I really appreciate you clearing out the studios today for me. Yeah, down I mean, on Skid Row Studios. Yeah, this place is usually hustling, hustling, bustling. bustling. And, you know, I, I'm anti-entourage. I don't even bring my own entourage. I won't let you have an entourage. It's literally you, me, and a producer. That's yeah, all. Is. That's how I work. That's how I Close work. sets. I'm very Harvey Keitel-like. Well, I yeah, first of all, I want to let everyone know how you and I met. Um, Craigslist, yeah. Casual Encounters. Yep. And, you can uh, talk about that, right? What was great is I also bought a bed off you, and uh, we and had we, Casual Encounter. And then I said, I love the bed. And you said, it's crazy. It's also for sale. And yes. uh, my wife loves the bed. I can't tell her where I got we, it, of course. But. Right. Well, that's cool. Well, now she knows. And that's probably oh, She won't important. watch this show. Trust me. She, she still doesn't know. <laughs> She's not a fan. Now, I um, need to tell you a couple things. First mm. of all, and I want all of you knowing, uh, listening to know how I met Jamie. Um, for real, uh, Jamie's done a um, show on TBS called Deal With It. Mm -hmm. It's Howie Mandel's show, uh, executive produced by him and Theo Vaughn's the host. And you've done the show a couple times, right? I've guested once each season, yeah. And it's, honestly, it's a really fun show to do. And then we did kind of hit it off because you, uh, you were one of the stars of the show who kind of go out and uh, mess with people. And uh, it was it was really fun. It's it's such a great time, yeah. and um, you know you're a great guy. I got to tell you, you know oh, certain man. people you meet and you just go, this is a good guy. Uh, yeah, I put on a great facade. Seriously, Do ask my wife. I should show you some of my wife's text messages no, from this morning. I'm not saying She's you're not, perfect. She doesn't appreciate me. No, well that's okay. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not trying to. I'm not putting you up as like a god. I know you've you're, you have your I'm flaws. A, I'm a good. But, I'm a good guy to hang around with. I guess. But I'm a uh, good guy to have a couple I, drinks with. Well, I'm sure you are. And I want to get this out of the way sure. because I think it's important to kind of, I don't want there to be any tension. No, and I if know. I don't say this right away, mm -hmm. then there might be. Sure. So, you know, I don't have a lot of guy friends. I mean, I have some, sure. but not a ton. And I don't have a wife like you mm -hmm. or any wife for no. that matter, yet one like yours. No. And so I have a bit of, I would say I'm, I developed kind of early a little bit of a man crush oh. on you. I'm so flattered. I know, flattered. it's crazy. I, I am I mean, so flattered. But not in a, like, a gay way, not that that would be wrong. Well, I, but feel, I feel very similar. I have a man crush you know, on you because I got to be honest with you. I have been asked by many friends and uh, cohorts to come do shows of this ilk. Yeah. 
And I, you know, I'm, I'm busy and I don't. I know you uh, are. I also just, I don't uh, want to do them. <laughs> but with you, I was like, absolutely. I'll come down there in a heartbeat and come well, to the show because I knew it would be a fun, uh, a fun convo. And, uh, well, it really means a lot to me and, and all of the people listening, you know, this guy is really great. And the fact we've got an hour with him is really special. Now I gave, I got you a little gift. Shut up. Okay. Cause Besides like I, the money you gave me for parking, right. that's uh, basket and, full know, of change. And I, and like I said, you can hold up the camera too. You know, <laughs> it is like I said. It's I have a little bit of a man crush, sure. and why it is Valentine's Day coming up? Why not love? Why but can't I scratched men love it out. Other? I scratched well, it out and put but you like. like me. Well, I do because does I, it have to grow into love? Do we only start yeah, at like and then I, it becomes love? I, if I put love, it would be a joke and wouldn't be real. Oh, but if I put like, that's believable. What if it's um to tell you that I yeah like is proud love you although. That looks like my dog. We have it's a puggle. cute, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Can you open puggle. it up? Let me open it up. I didn't really write a lot. <laughs> All my heart. All the best. I didn't Valentine's want to write too much because I was 14. feeling vulnerable. But Now, is it going to be weird when I reuse this to give it to my wife and I just cross out what you wrote and you then write it? You should. Or actually, I might be able to just get away with just re-signing it. You could turn Vic into Jamie somehow if you're... That's really sweet. Thank you. And I, these listen, sure. these cards aren't cheap. No, they're not. There's a Trust lot me. of stuff going into this card. There was. There was a lot. There was a lot of thought. I I just wanted to you know say a little special thank you and, you know, and it, uh, it was I Valentine's Day. It. It's, it's much like, appreciated. And you are I won't say you're my Valentine, but I, I I'm not like Why attached not? right now. Why can't with anyone? I be your Valentine? Okay, well if you're willing to be, I think it's a it's a beautiful thing to be someone's Valentine. I agree. And I'm I don't, always amazed when somebody you know repels someone's affection. Isn't it nice to be liked? Isn't I it nice it for is. someone to, you know, pay a compliment and say that they like you? Well, of course, thank people you. are like, well, well, no, I appreciate it and I like you too. Well, thank you and, I've, and I'm happy this has been, you've taken it well because if it had, if you hadn't, it could have been an awkward, you know, time the rest of oh, the show. Oh, yeah, I could have stormed. I almost stormed out <laughs> when there was no coffee in the studios. That's really my, uh, usually well, my rider, my rider, my one rider is coffee well, without powdered cream. I usually, that's like if I, I raise a stain I kind of believe you set. almost. But you know, you I You should believe, believe me. It's very, very, I'll go, even when my friends are shooting like little no budget things and I go, you do a favor and you shoot something in some guy's small budget film or something. And I go, listen, all I care about is have coffee and some cream. That's all. Well, that's all well what's really funny to me about that whole thing is that um, the reason you got the card, I had only a certain amount of cash on me and it was first I was going to get two bananas in water for you and water for me, Right. <laughs> but I didn't have enough cash with to cover the, your parking too. So I forgo, I, I forwent, if that's even a word, the bananas in sure, the, yeah. the water for sale and went with the card. So you would have had a cold water. But but I like the card better. I think the card's I think better. You chose, I think you chose wisely and yeah. honestly, I, I like the card. Okay. I'm going to put this in my rear, my, uh, <laughs> the rear window in my car. I'm just going to have it facing out. Sure, I'll have a water. That sounds great. And then let everybody know how much you cared about me. Well, I, I'm flattered. That's amazing. Well, thank good. So I'm happy. That somebody like, took an effort to go do something like that. It's a beautiful thing, right? Thank you. I actually appreciate it. And I'll definitely take a banana that. as well. I'll take a banana and a water. You can get, bring it up and I'll, I'll reimburse you for I'll the banana, banana too. I'll eat a banana on camera. It's not like I haven't eaten a bananas on camera before. Yeah, he I'm wants a banana. banana but we're talking to Jenny, our producer, who actually has bananas and water, coincidentally. Beautiful. So for those of you who aren't... But, by the way, let me yeah. interrupt you. This card reminds me, you put more effort than my mom ever did. Like, my mom will give me cards for my birthday or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and there'll be nothing in the card except for what Hallmark wrote into oh. it. And then she just wrote Love Mother at the bottom. So, I, But I don't think she's deliberately not writing. I think she just really spends a lot of time and chooses the card that very specifically says exactly what she wants to say to me. Like, you are a beautiful son... 
I wish you a happy birthday. Like she goes, that's exactly how I feel. And then just signs it. Well, it's funny because you're so creative, but you're so creative. You didn't get that change from her. It seems like. No. And you know, it's funny. I guess I got it from my father, but I never met that guy. Like my dad was 43 when I was born. So by the time I really was kind of a young boy, I was, you know, he was 50. Right. And he was kind of a beaten guy down because he worked a lot and I'm the youngest of six. So at that point he was like, look, just, just don't die. You know, he didn't care. But I hear later on from everyone else who were friends with him when he was younger, my mother, they, they're like, he was a really funny guy and he would get up and tell stories and he played a little piano and he was kind of a witty guy, very much how I am now. And But you didn't I, know him that I way. I never knew that guy. Did he pass away when you were- He was- has passed now, but he he was with me for a long time. He just- I never knew him as a young man. I only knew him okay. as a 50-year-old man. But even as a 50-year-old, I know he a lot. Wasn't, he, he wasn't. He lost his spunk? He lost his spunk. Oh, that's sad. It was a different era. You know? I don't know. I mean. He's the youngest. Uh, I was the youngest of six. So he had raised six kids. He just was He was beaten. exhausted. Yeah, he was. I think he was uh, exhausted. Mm-hmm. That's just, too bad, though. You missed out. We huh? never went. He never took me to a baseball game. We never went to the movies. He changed smoke. So he couldn't sit in a theater for two hours or anything. So we never, we, you know, we hung at the house. He was a great guy. Right. Did you at least we'd play some sports in the backyard? But he once he got home from work, he was just like, "Just leave me alone." Like it was that generation. It was Cats in a Cradle. It's the, it's the song basically. <laughs> he grew up to be just like me. Right. And if you though, don't know that song, if you're too young, that would be Harry Chapin. Right. Cats in the Cradle. Well, what's the story about? It's the father never had time for the son, and right. then when the son gets older, he has no time for dad. Yeah. And it's he goes, crazy. hey, can you come see me? And he goes, oh, I wish I could, Dad. The kids are sick right. and we can't get out. And then he goes, he grew up to be just like me. Listen, I want all of you to know uh, the work before we go any further that this man that I'm talking to has uh, been a part of. Mm. I'm going to go through some of your credits real quickly. We'll talk about them. Um, King of Queens. Well, there's too many. So I'll cue you when I want to hear something. I just want to give a, I want to get a, an umbrella. You tell me when to talk. Of what it, what you've done. Because it's, it's so impressive. King of Queens. How I Met Your Mother, Friends, Will and Grace, played Gary five times. Now, the show's called It's a Fair Question. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to answer. I usually don't give people that little clue. Trust me, I will answer very specifically and I'll blow people out of the water. I couldn't give a Can I swear? Yes, I couldn't give a shit. Okay, good. Now, Will and Grace... Now, a lot of people, I know you at home are wondering, you're probably thinking that you do five episodes of Will and Grace... Maybe not a star, but that's a lot of money. How much did you get paid for five episodes of Will and Grace? And I know scale, and it is a fair question. It's absolutely a fair question. I I forget what scale was then. I you know scale you would work all week, right? So Monday you'd go for the table read, and then Tuesday you would block and start to block rehearse, and then you'd rehearse all week, and then on Friday you'd shoot it live in front of a studio audience. Okay. So it's one week of work, and I didn't, wasn't above scale. I got scale, but scale's pretty good in Screen Actors Guild. It was, uh, I want to say it was five or 6,000 for the week, but then you'll get residual checks. So since then, every now and then, I'll get a weird check. Sometimes the check will be for $12. Sometimes the check will be for $2,500. So let's but say- I get a handful of checks over the years. So over the years, I've made- I couldn't even do the math. 50 grand? Well, just off of doing the five episodes, I would have made 30 grand. So I would say more than 50 grand. I really? I would say you would make, yeah, maybe 50 to, maybe 50 or 60 grand. But then uh, a part of that money, is that plus 10% or- No, you, you take, take that out of that. Really? They yeah, don't yeah, do yeah, plus 10? 10. You would take the 10. Because no, a lot of times, is that scale, how it is? Maybe it was scale plus 10. Usually it might, agents- It might have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but you got to pay your agent and a manager's. Manages oh. another ten percent. Okay, you're not usually getting plus twenty. 
No, it comes out, man. It comes out. Yeah. You know, so, you, and you get taxed on your full income. You can write off what you pay. Oh, your really? Yeah, okay. People, yeah, right. I know that. People look okay. at what people make. But I will tell you that the weeks I was shooting with them, that they were, first of all, it was like going to comedy camp. They were the sharpest team. The writing was ridiculous. Jim Burroughs, who was the director of Cheers and creative Cheers, directed them all. The cast was laser sharp. Each episode, I got to work with the boss of our law firm. So one week it was... Wait, G- say that again? The boss of... I worked in the law firm with okay. Will. So our boss was a stunt cat. The first time I did it was Gene Wilder. <laughs> Second episode was Jeff Goldblum. Third oh. episode, fourth episode was Lily Tomlin. So it was just like right. I was in awe the entire week. And couple the cast things. was razor sharp. That is really interesting. I want a couple things that Jamie said for those of you who aren't kind of aware of what we're talking about. He used the word stunt casting. He doesn't mean stuntmen. No. He means that the network will put in big time stars as a, as right. a stunt to sure. try and increase ratings often during a sweeps period, which is the period of show runs where they're trying to garner the largest audience so they can get the largest advertising <laughs> dollars for future episodes. The way they set the advertising dollars is through the sweeps period. Although in this case, stunt casting might be the wrong term because you're not casting uh, okay, Ashley yes. Simpson right. or Britney Spears would be stunt cast because they're not known. Com- you know, okay. when you cast Gene Wilder, there's nobody better for that part or any part, right? Or Jeff Goldblum or Lily Tomlin. Sometimes so it was like the funniest people on earth were on that show. Uh-huh. Harry Connick Jr. was on it. Mar- Minnie Driver. And the ones you, episodes you all were the on. Epi- all the episodes I did was with unbelievable casts. So it was what? crazy. And the main cast at that point was making, I think, half a million dollars a week. Okay, couple. Th- one other thing, I just want to backtrack. When, earlier, when we were talking about plus ten percent, for mm. those of you who don't know what that means, when uh, an actor gets a job. Uh, let's say it's $1,000. Usually you give the agent 10%, so then the actor would get $900. But what agents like to do is they'll negotiate and say, I want my actor to get his full rate of 1000 plus 10%, which is going to go to me, the agent. Right. So it doesn't come out of the actor's uh, 1000 bucks. Now, in Jamie's case, he had an agent, 10%, and a manager. Mm-hmm. They never go plus 20 They'll maybe go $1,000 plus 10, sure. but Jamie would still have to pay that 10% to a manager, which yeah. would come out of, just, just in case you're curious how that works. But um, Everything ha- comes out of that, yeah. Right. Now, unless they go plus 10. Right. Okay. Um, you're really those, harping on that plus 10 thing. Man. Well, you so know I, think what, it's a, I feel like it's a minor thing and you're really, is, but you know what the, he's really I, obsessing I get, about I get the extra really, 10%. You know what it is? I get really anal. Like if someone at home knows nothing about the business, like I want them to fully I feel like understand. everybody knows the business now. It used to be they didn't, but be, okay. between like Project Greenlight and American Idol, I'm pretty sure like kids are cutting deals now at the age of like six and seven. They might be, the, right. Deadline Hollywood, all these, uh, it's like you talk to some kid in Indiana and he's like, uh, what were the what were the overnight numbers <laughs> for the Olympics last night. They're only, oh, I got a 6.4 rating yeah. and you're like, you're 12 years old in Minnesota. That's Maybe you true. should worry about the craft as opposed to, <laughs> but that's, that's the age with Twitter. It's like how many Twitter followers you got? What's, right. uh, what's your Q rating? That's what kids are growing well, up with. Well, the other thing about that is uh, uh, th- there is some like weight to that. I mean, There's huge know. weight to it. That's the problem. It's social media dictating who gets what well, we as opposed pe- to talent. We had people on deal with it, you know, um, who are YouTube stars. And I'm not, that was great. And, you know, in that world, they're stars, but some people don't know them. Or, you know, the way networks on a lot of shows now will cast is they'll say, how many followers does this person have? Uh, They ask me at auditions. They go, how many Twitter followers you get? Yeah. I mean, that's the world now. 
It's pretty interesting. It is the world, but the problem is that you see from certain people who have multi-million followers on Twitter and their TV shows don't have ratings is that they still haven't figured out how to cross-pollinate it and make it really work. And so you're, it's just a knee-jerk reaction to cast, let's face it, TV makes stars. Nobody knew anybody on Cheers or Seinfeld before those shows blew up. You know, they made a great show and then the viewers came, but nowadays they stunt cast with a giant name who has a billion followers, a la Kim Kardashian or whatever, and that's what rules the world. You know, when I was a kid, it used to be you didn't talk about your business. You weren't like, oh, you didn't brag about all the stuff you've done. And those were the guys who did the most. It was usually the braggers who did the least. And nowadays, it's the people who just blah, blah, blah. This is what I'm doing constantly, 24-7, are the people who get the most jobs as opposed to the you know, the talented guy who's sitting in the corner quiet. It's the person with the best publicist now. Well, let me get back to your uh, your work over on Will and Grace. Okay. Um, were you scared working with all these? Oh, my God. I, yes. How'd you get the job? I auditioned. So very, you're just one guy in a minute. room. Yeah, I auditioned one time. It was a big job for me because I hadn't recurred on any show yet. I had Friends done was a, a one-off. Friends was a one-off. I had, you know, each each one of these was a certain building block and a step that you get to. And so this was a big job. And uh, I remember I had done a gig in San Diego with Chris Hardwick. Mm-hmm. Overnight, we had done stand-up down there. And we stayed the night. And then I got the call in the morning. And they said, hey, it's a last-minute call for uh, Will and Grace. And I was like, shoot, I got to get up. So we, we ran and I drove back up really quickly and I tried to learn the lines the best I could and I was nervous and I went over to CBS Radford and I read for all the producers and I was really nervous about Will and Grace and uh, Carrie Lizer, who was the one who worked on the show who ended up being my biggest supporter they hired me I found out later it was supposed to be Josh Dumel and he at the last second pulled out for some reason Mm. and so I just luckily fell into that place and then it was only supposed to be a one-off but the, they liked the character. They liked me. And they, they kept bringing me back. And so uh, that's happened on a few. Like King, King of Queens was the same. I would go on a show and, you know, you'd, have a, you'd be funny and you'd do a good job. Same with uh, Deal With It with mm-hmm. Howie Mandel. I felt like the first time we did it, it was great. Yeah. And so when they go, uh, you know, we should, we, they just go bring him back. Because this business is about like, it's not about, you know, it's, it's more about hanging on set with somebody for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Is somebody cool to hang out with for 12 hours? Because there's a lot of funny people in this town, you know? There's yeah, a yeah. lot of really talented people. It's more about, oh my God, can I be on a set with this guy for 12 hours? And it was, and it's always kind of worked out. So they take keep us, me back. Take us through, again, the audition, like real specifically with the producers of Will and Grace. Now, how many pages of sides did you have? Do you remember? Sides yeah, it was like, like three script. different scenes. It was a lot. And it, did you and have I it memorized? Think I think I do pretty much memorize my scenes for the most part. I'll be pretty much off paper. Otherwise... I can either do one of two ways. I can be totally cold read it and I'll be pretty good where I have to look down and pick up every line or I'll be totally off paper and I'll know the scene by heart and I'll be pretty good. But if I'm in the middle where I kind of am second guessing myself, is this the line? It's a disaster. So I kind of, I think I had it pretty well memorized and I remember I did it and it was really funny and I felt like, oh, this is clicking and I did it and they looked at me and there was a huge pause and they stared at me and they were like, "Uh, all right, thanks for coming in. And I was like, ah, shit, not usually, because they usually have to do it a couple of times. And so I went, okay, thanks. And I got up and, I, and they watched me walk out and I walked out. And as I got to my car, one of the assistants came out to me and said, hey, can, can you come back in and do it again? Oh. And so, and I was like, well, yes. 
which has happened to me many times as well. And sometimes I've booked it and sometimes I haven't. So they brought me back in and they go, could you do it again and do it a little bit like this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did it like that. And they were like, and I, they smiled and they were like, all right, thanks for coming in. And I knew then I was like, I, I think I got that job. And I left and I was like, uh, 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 I got it. And it was like that. But every audition's like that, man. You just get used to them. And so finally you get to a point where once you've kind of worked enough, you know, I was a regular on my boys for four years. And so after that, I kind of was like, all right, you know, I, I'll work in this business. And so I still go to auditions. I still get nervous sometimes. Sometimes I don't, but I never like take it too much to heart. Well, you sound like a really good auditioner because you've had a lot of parts and this, a lot of huge sitcoms. That is the skill in this town. People say, oh, I'm an actor. And I go, I'm not an actor. I'm a professional auditioner. And every now and then one of those pays off. But I, for, as I'm living on a daily basis, I audition for a living. Where did you learn your technique to no audition? Whatsoever. Uh, you know what? I did take one class that was a cold reading class with Brian Reese, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And he was like... How do you spell that for those here in town who might R-E-I-S-E, want to take that R-E-I-S-E, Brian Reese. Everybody has studied with him. From Clooney, everybody's been in the class at one point. He has like okay. classes all week long. And it's more, he goes, I'm not going to teach you how to act. You huh. either act or you don't. Huh. And uh, he, I'll teach you how to walk into a room and be yourself. It's funny, whenever I'm on a That's show, good. my friends will watch me and they'll be like, dude, you're just being yourself. And I go, you try being yourself when you somebody yells action with lines you didn't yeah, write. Right. And that's the skill. But the goal is to be yourself. Jamie, I think you are, you hit it right on the head. If you look at our biggest stars, yeah. who are they? They're themselves. Is Danny DeVito Danny DeVito? Every time. Right? And the that's why he works, yeah. Is I tell Tom my Cruise that. Tom Cruise? Yeah. Yes. I tell my friends that when you go into an audition, it's like, your mindset shouldn't be, oh, I'm okay, I'm a cop, I'm a father of two. No, you're you, and you just happen to be a cop and a father of two. But be yourself. You have to be yourself because right. that's the only thing that's going to differentiate you from anybody. You're not, you can't place, you know, it's, yeah, Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. Everybody wants to be Meryl Streep, but she's one in a zillion. Well, Robert De Niro. And even De Niro at times is like, that's still De Niro. Sure, well. Very few people are chameleons. Well, Philip Seymour Hoffman was. We lost. Phenomenal. Obviously. You know, we, that really upset me yeah, too. Yeah, was sad. I, was, I watched Very the 60 sad. Minutes thing the other night and I was still upset. I missed that. But we did a show last week on it. But it shows you that it. regardless of how successful or how perfect your performances are, you can see what a troubled soul was under there, man. And I oh, think yeah. a lot of actors have that sense of like, I have perfectionism where I go, I'll have a killer stand-up show and people come up to me after and go, man, you fucking destroyed. And in the back of my head, I'm like, all I can do is obsess over the two jokes that I stumbled through or I ate and it didn't come out right. And I go, I can fix that. I can fix it. Because we have this perfectionism and he had that. Even though we see this perfect performance, he sees like this, oh, it was a disaster. So getting back to the audition though, yeah. regarding that, you uh, took this class. It helped you kind of get yeah. kind it of teaches you audition. Because at the time I wasn't auditioning much. You know, I was just newer. And I, had, I really started with a theater company. I was at Acme Comedy Theater and I did sketch for years. But, you know, you start to put so much pressure on these auditions and you're like, I got to go in. This is, the, I got to get the job. And you have to throw it away. And you can't, the problem was, you know, I, everything meant money. I was trying to live. I was trying to make money. I had a day job. And what was your day job? I bartended. While you were doing uh, Will and Grace? Uh, yes, I did, actually. I bartended all the way through the first season of My Boys. I g- gave all my shifts away, but finally after, like, giving my shifts away for, like, nine months... Get right on top of that mic, by the way. The manager called me and he was like, hey, do you still work here? And I was like, (laughs) no, I don't. I knew we had season two. Were you scared to be saying no? Because that was a job. I was terrified. I shot a pilot early 
Oh, my God. It was such a good pilot. George Clooney wrote it with Matt Adler. Uh, they exec produced it. It was for HBO. I don't know Matt Adler. He was, uh, he was, he was a writer with them. And Frank okay. Langella was in it. He played the acting teacher. And it was like one of the first things I booked, a pilot. And I go to this table read and everyone goes, quit your day jobs. Here we go, people. You're going to be a star. <laughs> They're all like, you're going to, I'm doing all these scenes with Frank Langella. Clo- uh, Clooney's hanging on set. He's great. It's so much fun. Pilot never get picked up. And you're like, well, back to, I just had never quit the day job. Yeah, it's smart not to, right? Yeah, it was hard for me early on to even say I was like, I had friends who were like, I'm an actor. Really? You've never worked once professionally. I would be the opposite. I would be more like, uh, well, I guess I'm a bartender. Even though at that point I was making, you know, money, tons of money at commercials and, and other stuff. So I, right. I guess I was an actor at that point, but I just. You haven't, know. what's interesting about you also is not only are you funny, but you're a good-looking guy. Oh, you're so sweet. Right, This See? is past the, this is part of the crush. <laughs> but what's funny is in Hollywood, yeah, I'm not that good-looking. Because no. you go into places and you're like, oh my God, that guy's beautiful. Yeah, I know. But you still, you know, you can play, you could play a, a funny leading man. I mean, especially these days. Please, somebody hire well, me. You look like a dad, and any, you know, a good-looking dad. I, I feel mean, like I'm the brawny lumberjack. I like flannel shirts, good looking. <laughs> no, I'm not guy. going that far. <laughs> like, I got to bring like, you oh, back I, to reality. I no, oh, you th- I think I think that was not that good looking. He's like the husky. You know, he's been out in the sun. No, he, he chops wood. He's a hunk. He's a, oh, he is really the brawny guy's a hunk. I think so. Jenny is the brawny guy a hook a hunk. She can't. She doesn't. She can't talk. She's to like, me. I have no idea what you're I talking. I don't. About. Yeah, I don't want to talk to you guys. Why right isn't there a camera on her? She should be on camera. Yeah, she's cute. And she's she's doing a great job too. Now let's talk about my boys. Let's talk about it. Uh, you mentioned it. You said season two is picked up. You're really excited. Okay, four seasons, forty nine episodes. Yes, correct. That is true. Okay, so I'm hearing that. I'm thinking like, do you need to work ever again? <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny is when people do say that, and yes, I do. Although I did, I did uh, buy a house with it, but mm-hmm. I now have a mortgage payment that I need. To right, and it's in Victorville. It's in Victorville. <laughs> but- and when you know. I say house, I mean a trailer. <laughs> uh, but it's a double wide. It's a it's a one and, one and a half wide. I would give it. Most. Okay. But uh, Victorville's a nice area. And I, I, you know I sell what? crystal meth on My the side. My namesake. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's Yourville. Yeah. So you uh you so it was enough to buy a house. That's it was pretty enough good. To put a down payment on a house. Okay. And a couple nice trips. Yeah, we you get paid well when you work. You get paid well. Do you get scared? Like even today, I'm like it's right just going to stop. This show is terrifying. Me. <laughs> but like you know, I mean, do you have that paranoia? A lot of all the time. Every actor says, "I'm never going to work again." But you know, I have come to terms with it. Where I go, you know what? I'm going to work again. I don't care anymore. I stopped caring as much as I used. To. I used to care so much. Well, here's the here's the, here's the trick. Unemployment at the top level in California is four hundred and twenty dollars mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. So my suggestion is build a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Where your expenses are no more than sixteen hundred and eighty dollars. Write this down. Trust and- me, that's <laughs> I lived on that for years. When I was working on my boys, I was in a rent-controlled studio apartment at the beach. I owned my car, a little Prius I had, yeah. and I never spent a penny of it. I saved it all. But now I'm married with a baby. So your sixteen hundred dollars a month is out the fucking window, lunatic. <laughs> Talk to my wife for a second. Are you kidding me? What how do you that's a day. That's a day. I mean, I got to get rid of them, and then not I can. Ah, oh, man, I'm I'm the king of that. Of like, what do we need? Why do you need another shirt? Your your other shirts. There's nothing wrong with. What do you need? You have a pair of black <laughs> shoes with heels. I know, but this toe's a little different shaped, and the heels a little. You're killing me. You're killing me. Why do we need to spend money on all this shit? I I if I had a choice, I would rather not work, and not spend money. 
Like yeah. I still, to my mindset, whenever somebody goes, here's the price of something, I go, oh, that was one full bartending shift. I still put everything into that. Like I would make, you know, $150, Where are you bartending? I used to work at O'Brien's in Santa Monica. Is that like off Third Street Promenade? Like off your, It's Arizona on Main Street, or? yeah. No, it's oh, off Main, Main Street. Street. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Main Street. Oh. I opened it. I worked there for 10 years. Wow. Now- um, And I drank there for 10 years. Well, as an Irishman, that must I have been to. like you were home. It was like, yeah, it was, I actually kind of was my home. I basically lived there. So let's talk a little bit about darkness in your life. Sure. Um, you know, I find that every comic has times, there's a, there is often a, a darkness, uh, a loneliness, and it, because of the nature of the business is so hard. And so do you have any vices, any pitfalls that you need to watch out for? Um, um, not heroin. Right. I mean, I'm, I, luckily I never got Thank into God. it because I probably, my family does have an, an addictive gene and I drink. I probably drank excessively when I was younger, especially when I was bartending, I drank free. It's not like open bar. I would still be like, I got to get my money's worth. It's free. I don't care. I got to get my money's <laughs> worth out of this. So now I pace it a little and better. they saved your job. They, yeah, they're yeah, probably yeah. thrilled. You I don't went. hold it. I probably don't hold alcohol as well as uh, others. I, I don't think Irish people do in general. Right. Us and American Indians, I think, are the two that are just terrible drinkers. You get depressed? Sure. I mean, I mean I'm talking like real depressed, not like uh, oh, well, a little Well, I can't glum. gauge that. I, I mean, I feel depression, but here's, and I, and I always have... To say to other people who are depressed, I go, Mike, the way I deal with it is I bask in it. Like, I don't fight it. When I, I have, of course, I have horrible depressions, and then I have horrible, uh, the opposite. Like, I'm totally mood swings. And so when I get depressed, I, you know, I grab a pint of ice cream and I watch three movies and I disappear for two days. Do you have a therapist you go to? I don't. I have stand up comedy for that. Really? That's enough? I usually get up and just tell horrible stories on stage. And I have told many, many, many horrible stories. My whole act is just the most embarrassing. But no, what's funny is people do laugh because everyone has had those stories. Right. So it's real. It's it's you. One night we did this stand-up show in the back of O'Brien's and nobody showed up. It was like five comics. And so we said, all right, everybody get up and tell the worst, most embarrassing stories of your life. So I got up and I told of the night I was so drunk, I fell asleep with a pint of chocolate fudge brownie on my chest. And when I woke up, there was a giant brown puddle. And, but I was, didn't know where I was. I was really hungover. And I was like, oh, my God, I've shit my chest. For one second, I thought I had shit my chest. And so I told that just to my friends. And they were like, dude, you have got to do that as part right. of your stand-up act. Yeah, that's funny. And so I got up one night, and it was so embarrassing. And I told that story, and everybody fucking rolled laughing. And you're like, oh, I got something. They here. were laughing their asses <laughs> off. And so funny now because I tell that story now with no embarrassment <laughs> whatsoever. And so it ended up, I've told so many horribly, horribly embarrassing stories on stage. And that's part of my act because people, we've all done the same thing. Well, man. don't you think vulnerability is what makes a great comic? I mean, I know we can't make, let me take that back. There are a lot of things to make a great comic, yeah. but don't you think that's one type of Absolutely. characteristic? They have to empathize with you, but they do. I've also told stories where people go, dude, even I'm not that fucked up. Like I didn't do that. And they didn't laugh. And I had to pull that from the act right. and realize that, okay, that was a little, I've that had that too. Exclusive. Like yeah. mom stuff. Like my mom's doing things sure. that were just like, like, no, we're not going. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going. I think the you. key to being a really good standup is being likable on stage because it, you, the, the most likable people can say the most horrible, horrible things on stage. Pryor, Richard Pryor told the most horrible stories about how terrible of a person he was and the things he had done. And you still were like, oh my God, you wanted to hold him and hug him right. because he was such a likable and empathetic character. Well, you know, it's a great point you make, and I think that it's often forgotten. Like, I'll go, um, you know, try material out somewhere. I might go to an open mic. Sure. In, 
you know, why not? Because just to get out there yeah. and you know, it's easy. Just go booming out, and it's just a good place to just keep the muscle going. But I think, like particularly, you see a lot of newer comics, and they're very, you know, I think that it's easy to forget. Like you, it's the essence of you. It's like we talked about earlier. It's your point of view. Be you, whatever that That's is. What and I that's always so say. hard. When, you're, when I first started out comedy, I would have managers come and I would crush and they go, we still don't know who, you know, you need a point of view. Like mm. you could take any joke uh, and when Jim Gaffigan says it, it's Jim Gaffiganized. Uh-huh. Like he puts it through his Seinfeld. Anybody who, those, those big guys, when they tell any story, it comes out of like them. It's their, their point, point of, of view. view. And I think in stand-up, when you finally get to the point where you can just get up and tell it, like the other night I told a story about I fought a parking ticket or a speeding ticket because the cop told me to, he, it's, he pulls me over, gives me a ticket. And then at the end he goes, you know, you seem like a nice guy. I want you to ask for a trial and then I won't show up. <laughs> and so I go, all right, whatever, man. And so I he asked for a, a trial. He had a man crush on you. That guy showed up. He showed up. It's a long story, but, uh, <laughs> So I got up and told this horrible story for like 10 minutes and it was, people came up to me after and they're like, that story was great because I was just being myself on stage. Did you stage. get laughs? Yeah, it crushed. Yeah, it crushed. And so now I'll, I'll kind of hone it into a piece of my act. You know, like the way I write, um, I'll like, it comes to a lot of times through conversation or experience versus um, blocking out three or yeah. four hours a day. You know, I mean, how do you, what's your style? I'm more like you and I wish I was more like them. Like Seinfeld got up and wrote jokes. Some people are pure writers and yeah. are amazing joke writers. I'm not. I speak in my own cadence. I have. I talk in stand-up almost sometimes. But it's hard for me to sit and write. I will write a block, and then it'll morph when I get on stage. I'll write a lot, and then it comes out totally different, and then I'll try to rewrite it. And it finally kind of hones its way into the middle where it's kind of written, it's kind of my speech pattern, and then it'll become a block. And I'll say it exactly the same way all the time. Do you find um, it sometimes is painful writing? It's unbelievably I mean, painful. Like the whole process the is painful. The detail and... The whole thing's painful. Yeah. And then I'm so not off book, like I almost wish I was the guy who just had a straight script and did it because it would make my pre-show ritual so less unnerving. But I still get nervous because my brain doesn't go, oh, eight minutes, I'll do joke one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'll just say them in order and I'll get off the stage. My brain's like, well, I'm going to open with this. And then it's always changing. And then if something kills, I'll kind of explore that a little more. It's a constant process. So when I did headline the road and did like, you know, an hour set, Mm -hmm. I would get off stage and I would be just physically drained. To do like three shows a night would be killer. It would just destroy me. How do you keep... uh track of, I mean, like, does it get to be wrote for you when you're doing an hour where you just kind of know? Well, it does oh, if you are doing it constantly, but you know, then I won't go on the road. I had a, we had a baby. I didn't go on the road for like nine months. I just got up again recently and did some stuff and I was a nervous wreck. But I bet you were better that night than maybe even some of your previous shows because you were fresh and the nerves help sometimes. No, well that night the nerves did not help, but then I got up again a few nights later and I, there was a terrible audience. Everyone was eating shit. It was like only a handful of people. And I stopped caring. And so I didn't try to do material. And I got up and just talked. And I crushed. And then it dawned on me after that show. I was like, hey, idiot, this is what you do that every time. We -hmm. know that nerves make us a much worse performer. And yet we cannot control them at times. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You know, like if I walk on totally relaxed, even if I don't remember my bits, pretty funny. 
I've seen you on the show work in the same way where it's so uh, spontaneous. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you're a funny guy. And so to remember that, to go on, Thanks. before I go on stage, you just go, you know what? I'm a funny, fu- I've been doing this for a long time. All I have to do is walk up there, start talking. And if I don't get nervous and get tense and just talk to people, you know I'll crush. You're so right. I mean, and it's hard to remember that. It's impossible. It's sometimes. impossible. Yeah. And I, uh, one of the most, I have to remind myself of this moment because, because I need to remember. Like it's, I have amnesia mm. about certain things. We about, all do. You know, I don't know if it's like when you're creative. You, there's an also like this insecurities, no memory of right. success. Sometimes uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, it comes and goes. So I'm in, I'm in uh, the Barnes and Noble on Third Street Promenade. Um, and for those of you who don't know, it's on the corner of Wilshire and Third. <laughs> like who gives a shit? But I anyway, knew it very well. That's where I, I, still, I was. That's where I lived. It was two blocks north of there, okay. on right on that street. On on third, I was at second in Washington, actually. Okay, so you were just a little bit yeah, north of for that. eleven years. Nice, yeah. So I miss those days. Yeah, that's a great area. Yeah. So I'm in there, and um, I ran into um, <clears throat> John Lovitz, and I had met him years ago, and uh, he was a guest on Howie Mandel's talk show, where I was a writer and I mm-hmm. acted a lot on the show. And so, as we were talking, I was asking him what he's up to, and he said he was uh, getting ready to be doing a Woody Allen film. Which sounded really amazing, you know, I mean, what a, what a cool thing. Right. And I asked him if he were nervous about it, you know, because I, I think I would be. I would know? be. He's like, man, nah, you know, he goes, this is what I do. He's been around for a long time. He's an unbelievable performer. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen a stand-up. <clears throat> you know, what's funny, he's not, uh, when you see him do stand-up, he, it's not like a polished hour where you would go, like, you know, you see Bill Burr and it's just a punch in the face of hilarity where you just, ba 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 Lovitz is more like you're watching, um, it's that, like you're at a party in 1920s <laughs> and like Al Jolson gets up and plays the piano and tells witty stories and you're like, God damn, that guy's talented. Mm-hmm. But it's not a polished act of like, here we go. Instead, it's like you're watching this amazing talent just... Uh, regale you with tales of old and oh you know what let me play a quick song for you and improvise a song and then oh you know what happened uh, Caroline you remember this story we were at the club today and he just and all of a sudden you're like it's enthralling more than it yeah. is a guy who's like joke one joke two there's no act more I'm sure there's an act but it's yeah. more just you're just enjoying love it um, what do you well he's also a great example of likability unbelievably yeah. likable even when he says the most horrible things on earth you like that guy. And oh, that's yeah. the key to being yeah. the bad guy in the movie. Well, the other thing- You that, want to be likable. Well, you are 100% right. And the thing that's also really tough is there are some comics that are just not likable. Not likable. And, you know, it doesn't matter how great the craft is. Doesn't. In my opinion, you know. Uh, you know, you, it's hard to find an unlikable comic. Because or people even, become unlikable. Like Dice Clay, I think, when he first- was on the rise up to that juggernaut stage. You really liked him, even though he said horrible things. You know when he became unlikable, in my opinion, was when he gave up the ruse. Like when he went on Arsenio and said and started apologizing. Yeah. Now I now he's unlikable. I thought the same thing. You know, like, like he got fired from SNL for that whole. He swore. They said don't swear, and he swore in the opening act, and then he kind of got blackballed in town, and then he kind of came out and he kowtowed instead of going, hey. This is what I do. You right. knew what you were asking for when you hired me. And we got it. We get it's a bit. Yeah. We're not stupid. We don't think, you, I mean, I didn't think that's really how the guy walks around. You don't need to apologize to me and tell me it's a bit. He's a good actor too. Remember him in Pretty in Pink? Yeah. He plays yeah. the door guy. He's a great actor. He's a great actor, man. And really funny. 
Talented but it's guy. about liking somebody. Do you like doing stand-up? Uh, I really do. I, I fight with it sometimes because I don't love the road. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I never liked it that much. I, I hate the travel. I hate the time down. But boy, when you walk off stage and you crush this, some that's just a, it's a drug. It's a real drug. Um, some some nights I love it. Some nights I don't. How do you handle when a show just doesn't go well? I mean, have you ever? Thought, I don't handle it well. Have you ever thought, you know what? I'm this is not the right business for me. No, I've all. You know what's funny? I think it's the only reason I've ever succeeded because I had friends who did that and they go, I'm not doing that shit again. I've always been in whatever I do. Like I'm playing golf now, and if I have a bad day, no, you're I'm talking just, to me right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I want to. I want to get out back out there and do it again. So sometimes I would do if I ate a set in in town, I would be like, oh, is there a late show I can jump on somewhere and get that taste out of my mouth? Like I mm-hmm. don't want to go to sleep on that show. Right. I need to end on a good. Show. So it's not about. It's not if a show doesn't work well. It's not about Jamie. No, it is. It's well, Jamie fucked up is what Jamie did because it's I, not about it's Jamie never the audience. It's not about Jamie not being funny though. It was about Jamie not being funny in that moment, and Jamie's not funny all the time. Jamie can be not funny, right? Isn't it scary how you don't know? Like, have you ever auditioned for late night uh, people like casting or other sure. shows where you're doing a set and sure. It I did a set on late late night with uh, Ferguson. I did oh, Ferguson cool. before. Have you ever auditioned or it didn't work out? Like you know, it's oh, just a bad set oh in God. front of people who are oh, going to be booking. Dude, I can't even tell you. I can't. I have so many stories of eating a pile of dung. And then what do you do? How do you? I cry. That? I went home. I uh, I tested for a show to be Jenna Elfman's husband in one show, and it, it, I talked to a producer later, and he told me he was like, "Dude, it had nothing to do. I, I just ate it. I had to tear it. It was like my seventh audition with the same scene. Kept going back in front of all the people at ABC. I ate a pile of dung. If you asked any of them, they go, I don't remember that. But what does that mean? Ate a pile of I dung. I just, I was horrible. It didn't click. It wasn't funny. You get one in this business. You get one swing. You can't right. go. All right, hey, listen, everybody. Obviously, that was a little rough. I've auditioned six other times. Let's let's run it one more time from the top. You don't get that." Right. You get one swing. That's it. What about for and they go? Thanks for coming in. But um, what about for bookers for stand up? You know, like do you oh, feel yeah, like yeah, you yeah. do one? Late, yeah, I I remember showcasing from Montreal. I did Montreal as one of the new faces mm-hmm. back in the day, and that was nerve wracking. And uh, even in Montreal, my set was okay. It wasn't great. I did got, you have people now? That's for those of you who don't know. That's a big showcase for stand up comedy. Big showcase then. It used to be. I don't know if it's still like this. I was where agents year, would run up to you. I was you the and, year after oh, earthquake really? blew it. They gave Earthquake like half a million dollars or something, a deal on it for a seven-minute set. And then the Wait, next- Earthquake? Or maybe it was Chicken. Earthquake or Chicken? One of those okay. two. I don't know. These guys <laughs> in the- uh, It was a long time ago. And then, so I went the year after and everybody was like, hey, just so you all know, no more deals are being passed out. So just go up and have a good time. They Doesn't said matter. that? Yeah. They Who said. was that? Who was saying that? Uh, our host was Alonzo Bowden. He was a good cat. That's weird. That- they were, they were like, it's over, man. Nobody's giving out deals anymore, so just forget about it. What do you think about shows like Last Comic Standing? They're doing it again this year. I heard. Yeah. You know, listen, anything any comic can get in this world, I will never, you know, like people gave Dane Cook a ration of grief. I'm like, dude, to have that many million followers, you got to be doing something right. I opened for Larry the Cable Guy on the road. <laughs> the nicest cat ever, one of the funniest guys. It's like, if it's not your sense of humor... Stop badmouthing other people for making a living. Jeff Dunham uses the puppets. He, he makes $20 million a year. What, who's the wrong one? You sitting here I, bitching at an open mic or, or the guy who's making money at no, it? No, you know what? The thing that Drives I agree. No, I agree because, you know, like, for example. They're just haters because they're jealous. Well, comics will love to beat up on oh. prop comics. Carrot Top right. is one they just love to tear into. Yeah. 
hey, if people are laughing at him and yes. he can make a great living, he's bringing happiness to people and who, who are like you to him. judge? It's like, fuck it, man. It's, if anybody can make anything at this business, I'm all for it. So for Last Comic Standing, all the power to it. If it makes, I just worked with John Heffron, who uh, I hosted a show for History Channel with him, and he was the nicest guy, ridiculously funny. He won season two, I think. Eliza's won it. If you can get anything out of these things, enjoy it, man. I never did Last Comic Standing once. I just, I was doing acting at the time, and I also didn't, I was terrified that I would have a terrible set, and then that would be what, it just wasn't, I don't like people editing my stuff. Well, it's funny, is I did one year I auditioned knowing, uh, with the intention of not getting on. Right. I did a crazy bit that I liked, but. Did it make TV? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really taking it very seriously yeah. that year. It's all for it, but I, uh, um, I don't know. So now you got this child. I have a child. <laughs> How six, old? Six-month-old Hannah Elizabeth. Now, Hannah Elizabeth, was that a planned pregnancy? Yes, very much so. Okay, and it was with your wife? I mean, my wife planned it. She told me where to be and what to do. Exactly and, yeah, where to yeah. be. We, listen, we got married and she said, all right, we're having some kids. And I go, okay, whatever. Now, does she work? She does. She has a day job, so we have a nanny. Really? Yeah. Okay, what kind of work does she do? She works in the pharmaceutical industry. She's a dealer? Yeah, she's a drug dealer. <laughs> it pays well. Well, we're in Victorville, man. What else do you want us to do? <laughs> Very good point. How has how has having a uh, baby changed your life? Uh, I mean, besides the sleeping, I mean, it's like changed it totally. I mean, you have somebody else who relies on you that can't fend for themselves. So yeah, it's cha definitely changed me. I, I'm a crybaby now. <laughs> I like watch a Home Depot commercial and I'll sob uncontrollably. <laughs> this is what concerns me about having kids. I don't have any children. Um, what if, do you ever feel like, like my biggest fear, and this is, sounds really selfish, so I hate to even say this, but I've seen some parents where the kid takes the place of the husband, not in the sense of like the mother loves the child. You mean some what, marriages, like, you mean every marriage. Like the husband. Oh, that kid's number, that kid's way above me on the pecking order. See, I, I want a marriage where no. the wife knows I'm still number one, but we'll take care of the kid. No, I'm not, I'm not even number three. I think the dog's above me. I think it was really? my wife, the baby, Isn't the dog, that and then me. It kind of in a way, but you know, it's weird. Like I was single into my forties and living alone in an apartment and I'm much happier now. Really? Yeah. I had, like how I seem surprised. I had it. I just was out every night boozing. There's no reason not, when you're single, it's like, there's no reason not to go out. I go, oh, I could do a stand up set and I'll, you know, go out to dinner with some friends and stuff. And it just, I don't know. I kind of felt like I had done it. I'm very happy being a dad and I love the, you know, my daughter's beautiful. When you um, look back at your career, do you feel your career cost you maybe being a father younger in life? Absolutely. And do you regret that? Um, I don't know if I regret it, but I do, you know, having a baby at an older age, I feel like, uh, I was like, ah, man, it would have been great to have one in the 30s. But I moved here when I was 30 to start acting. I was a Navy lieutenant and I got out of the Navy in San Diego and said, oh, I'm going to become an actor at the age of 30. Yeah, that's So I moved into a bachelor apartment that didn't even have a kitchen. <laughs> I'm in, and I bartended. And so mm -hmm. it was like, you know, I went out with a lot of great girls who I think were like, hey, we're going to get married and have kids. And I was like... I, how am I supposed to do that? I can't. Well, yeah. I'm going to raise a kid as the bartender. Right. And so it just never happened for me. I was really kind of career oriented for that decade, basically. And do you think that um, in some ways, are you going to purposely kind of consciously be more of the fun, spunky dad at your age that your father wasn't for you, knowing that your dad kind of fizzled out? Yes. Well, it's also my first child. So, I mean, I'm not beaten up yet, but I am that guy anyway. I don't think I have to consciously do it. I. But you do know. you think about that? Like, I'm going to make an effort to not be 
that w- because my I had an older dad and I know what that can be like. Right. Or have you never thought about it that no, way? No, I totally have thought about it. You know, to go like, you know, you start to do the math of when she's 16. But I'm going to be the older dad. There's no two ways about it. But I think that I am young at heart. And so I hope to, uh, yeah, we're going to go do stuff. I can't wait for her to get a couple years older. So I can take her to Disneyland and do well, crazy fun stuff. I want to do that stuff. I saw you walk in here. You appear to have the hip movement was wonderful. Fluid walking. It's I did not see bad. Yoga, baby. It's all about yoga. I mean, very nice movement. I do a lot of yoga. Now, you did mention about being a lieutenant. I was a lieutenant in the Navy. Navy. That is true. Now, I did a little bit of research. Oh, did you now? Oh, on the, on the interweb? <laughs> yeah, not that it takes that much to find it, but um, according to the internet, what you- What did people do before the internet? Not much. We made, a, we made a lot of mistakes. We made a lot of mistakes, but they were good mistakes. Yeah. Now, you were stationed, according to Wikipedia or somewhere, Hong Kong- Perth, not, that's enough. Never Australia. stationed there. I was I, my ship went there. My ship was stationed out of San Diego. Was this a Caribbean cruise? It was a Caribbean cruise. <laughs> I had to do two shows a night. <laughs> I wish. Shit. I was on uh, the USS Henry B. Wilson and then the USS Callahan, and we uh, over five years, and we made a Westpac. I went with the ship. Five years. It was a late. Uh, it was the early nineties, and we uh, the Gulf War was just starting to break out. It hadn't, we hadn't really got into it yet. So we were escorting tankers. So I went over, we went to Hong Kong, I went to Perth, uh, Pakistan, the Philippines, Thailand. Now, just to be clear, this is a warship that left San Diego. This was a warship, yeah. I was in that charge of combat systems. I was, uh, yes. So um, We were in a whole battle group with an aircraft carrying many other ships, and we went over and showed the flag. Right now, there are battle groups all over the world that are the United States Navy. How, how were the shows on the ship? They were horrible. They were stunningly bad. <laughs> Actually, I was kind of in charge. It was funny because I wasn't really there acting. There was entertainment, right? I mean, of some sort. Uh, well, there was a, I mean, these were the days. We didn't have the internet, so you couldn't email people. You were right. lost at sea. There was old school mail boats that came out once every three weeks. We get a letter. So you didn't, there was no, you could phone from port. But when you were at sea, I would have to tell my family and go, hey, you're not going to hear from me for a month. I'm gone. See you later. Yeah, it's so crazy. Nowadays, these guys are on, uh, we just talked, my wife's brother's in Afghanistan. We can reach him on Skype. We can look at him in the little tent talking to us from Afghanistan. Wow. Now, this is a very serious question. More um, serious than that? Yeah. Did I kill anybody? (laughs) No, that's not the question. This is a very fair question. Where would you say out of Hong Kong, Perth, and Bangkok are the best hookers? Philippines. Really? Oh, yeah. But when were you in the Philippines? I was in the Philippines on that same tour. We went to the Philippines. Oh, really? I did not, and I, I'm not saying this because I've been pretty open with my life. I never paid a hooker once overseas. You just but, ran out on them. Yeah, I just I would run out. <laughs> I would uh, chew and screw. Oh, that's not a right thing. But my friends would. It was like five bucks to walk into a bathhouse and have some. Uh, Philippi- yeah. Wait, now say that again. You what was the disclaimer? You never had. You never paid for it. I, no, I never had. I never went out with a hooker. Okay. So you never had I sexual relations I, with a hooker? I did not. As a have, sailor? No, not once. Why? I did meet a girl in Australia, <laughs> and I still wonder about her where she is. We were in port for a whole week, and uh, we were officers, so they had this crazy party where they took, um, <laughs> they had almost auditions for girls to get into the party to come meet <laughs> naval officers. And a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of guys came back with wives and stuff. And so I go to the and party herpes. and this is how, this is and exactly herpes. who I am. I didn't meet one of the girls who came in like their formal gowns to party, to the party. Uh, but I did end up meeting up with one of the waitresses. 
the caterer this girls. This is in the Philippines? No, and this is in Australia, oh, in okay, Perth, sorry, Australia. I, okay. I still wonder where she is. I don't know where she is. Well, and she listening. was like 19 at the time. I was like 22. And I ended up going home with her and spent the week with her family in wow. Australia. And uh, it was amazing. I went to all these local places with her and I brought a couple friends. And I hung in Perth, Australia for like this entire week. And we had an amazing week. And then I left and I never saw her again. Does your, that's why there's Facebook. That's, I that's how people do I wouldn't know how to get a hold of her, though. I don't even know. It's better you not. It's better for your marriage. I don't remember her name. It's better to live in the fantasy. I mean, it was early 90s. Nobody remembered names back then. It was like a giant reggae People festival. didn't have names back then. Some of them did not. Yeah. Especially people in Australia. Or names you can understand. But I did not hook up uh, some of the guys on the ship. Five bucks. Bathhouse. Sabayland. You would go and there was like a glass window. And on the other side were all these uh, Filipino women in Hot, dresses gorgeous. with numbers. Yeah, I guess. And then you would pick the number and the guy would come over and take your order and then you would go in the back room and they would bathe you and do whatever. Wow. Do whatever they would do. Yeah. Well, that's a dance. They would dance. They would, they would, dance, back they would dance with, with flags, <laughs> flag dance uh, that they would do. So um, why did you join the military? Was it because they paid for your school? They paid for college, yeah. So I was you, uh, on a ROTC scholarship out of high school so I could go wherever and I went to Boston. R- ROTC? I almost went to the Naval Academy, but I uh, didn't want to go there. So you're a smart guy. Um, eh. what'd you get on your SAT? Ah, shit. I, everyone's asked that. I don't really remember it. I took it twice, though. 1600 is a perfect Yeah, score. I'm not 16. I think I was like 1230, maybe, which is mm. average. What's the fu- We're almost out of time. What's the future for you? What do you see yourself? Uh, where do you see yourself? Well, I'm going to go downstairs, get in my car. I'm going to drive back up. I think I have an audition later today. You've got a bright future. The future is so where- bright. Um, <laughs> I am, you know, I'm, I'm working on a show, America Facts versus Fiction. That on the is channel. on the military channel, and that's coming back for season two. Yeah, uh, you're on deal with it. That's coming. I'm up I love two. deal deal with it. Season two is coming out. Um, I may end up hosting a show on. There's a bunch of little stuff. Little stuff happening. There's a couple commercials running. A couple guest stars. Some hosting stuff. Some stand up stuff. So that's great. People can come find me on Twitter <laughs> or uh, Instagram, and and uh, f- and they can keep up with what I'm doing. Okay, great. It's J A M I E K A L E R. J-A-M-I-E-K-A-L. Do you have a team? Do you have like a publicist? A, a I don't have, I never hired a publicist, really. I have a, well, I have a friend that I worked a little bit with when we did a, a summer tour after My Boys, Tess Finkel, who was amazing, and uh, she helped us a little bit. But I've never, you know, publicists are not cheap. Yeah. And I was always like, ah, I never, I didn't really want to be in the cover of People magazine and red carpeting stuff. So. But you have a manager and an agent. I have a manager and an agent. Uh, the manager helps my stand-up career and puts everything together. And then the agent is specifically designed to get you auditions. I have a voiceover agent. I have a commercial agent. I have a hosting agent. These are all a, different people. Some of them overlap. Um, and then a literary agent for your writing. And so whatever job you do, kind of that 10% goes to that agent. So mm-hmm. they, they don't all cross over. That's a team. Uh, I guess I have a team. If you ask them, they'd be like, who's Jamie who? Are these people you sought out or did they seek you? Uh, A little of each. I've been with my manager, Maggie Hoolan, forever and ever, and she's amazing. So it's really cool because we are, through everything, we have been a team. Mm-hmm. More so, I, I would say Maggie's my team. You're loyal then, to her, it seems. yeah, and she's loyal to me. And we're it's more we're friends more than anything, uh-huh. which is amazing in this town. I got to tell you, it's very well. Rare. The challenge is some some managers I've heard are more concerned about their own percentage in their own deal. Never than, been like that. You know Never, what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know exactly too? what you're talking about, and that's why we've remained friends and and 
great, uh, you know, it's, it, I didn't even think, I, whenever I go to a party with her, I don't go, hey, this is my manager. I go, oh, I go, hey, this is my buddy, Maggie. That's great. And she's my manager. Um, anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to share? Just how great you are. Well, and that I literally never do these things except I came because of you, because I had so much fun working with you on well, uh, Deal With It. Thanks, that's real. And how funny you were. Of you to come. Shockingly funny, but um, you know that, right? Everyone knows that. <laughs> I was, I was kind of flattered you asked me to come, so yeah. Well, was, thank uh, you. And I, I appreciate my Valentine's Day card. Yes. My wife's going to be a little jealous of a little bit. That's the point. I want to put some heat in that bedroom. <laughs> well, then you need to get rid of the kid. Okay. You need to get rid the, of the kid and the breastfeeding. The and card maybe isn't the heat enough. Will come I back. think breastfeeding is hot. I don't know. I guess if the kid's all over it. No. I mean, you can't get near the thing. Yeah. It's yeah. the kid's all over it. Yeah. And it's too bad, too, because they're as big as they're ever going to get. Mm, that they're is sad. huge. Take and, pictures. Uh, I should really <laughs> take some photos. They're, I mean, they're huge. Yeah. The kid's like, give me those things. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't. I don't know. I've never had that pleasure, unfortunately. <laughs> you, know, you don't. You're generous, but probably. <laughs> you come over. I'll tell my wife. You can share. We'll, we'll all share. Right. Do you have a ranch? Uh, I have a ranch out in Victorville, which is it's uh, called a double wide. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Jamie. It's so fun. I could talk to you seriously. There's there's so much I still wanted to cover, but. Just having you here for the hour has been great. I appreciate and, it. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, and also Jamie has a show on Sirius Radio. That's true, Sirius XM. I forget about that every Tuesday. So check that out. And um, thanks again. I look forward to keeping in touch. And uh, good luck with everything. I know you have you a lot it, of great but... stuff coming up. And uh, thank you all again for listening to Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. Always a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question.